Good morning. How's everybody? Excellent. Excellent. You guys sound really good this morning. It is so good to be able to worship with you guys. You know, my wife and I were thinking back this past week, and I realized that this Sunday marks 10 years. 10 years ago, this Sunday was my very first Sunday here at Chester Christian Church. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's insane. It's just flown by, uh, and it's just been a joy to be here. I've been in this role as, as, the, as the pastor, as the lead pastor for the last uh, little over three years, and so it's been, it's been great. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Acts. We're going to continue in our series, The Gospel Continued, Acts chapter. We're going to be in the latter part of chapter 6, all of 7, and then we're actually going to read the very first verse of chapter 8. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today, but it's, it's going to be good, and uh, we will obviously not read the text in its entirety, because if we did, then we wouldn't have time for anything else. So I'm going to be doing a lot of trying to explain and summarize things for you guys, and hopefully we'll, we'll get through it together. Um, Acts chapter 6, 7, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black Bible in the seat in front of you or in the row in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that Bible with you. That's our gift to you. And uh, where we're going to be at this morning, I think it's eight, page 886, 87, 88, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, so if you guys want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible, again, you can take that with you today as you leave. Uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and uh, pray. And then we'll dive into Acts. Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for uh, this, this opportunity we've had to come and uh, just lift our voices to you, God, to sing, and, uh, you, uh, and you alone are worthy as we sang uh, already this morning. And God, you are, you are awesome and you are beautiful, and uh, we just thank you. And Father, I pray that as we come uh, to, to just continue to worship you through your word, uh, that as we uh, break open your word and study, God, that you, that you would just move uh, that your Holy Spirit would just continue to move in this place. Father, I pray that if there are folks here that, uh, uh, that, that, that whatever motives they have uh, to come into to this place today, God, I pray that, uh, that you would just speak to them. And uh, God, I pray that as we exalt Jesus in this place, that, that we would see uh, Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And uh, we would see ourselves for who we are, and then we would see our need for Jesus. Uh, God, that's our prayer in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we are going to be looking at the life and death of Stephen, who was the first follower of, of Jesus to die for his faith. He is the, the first Christian martyr, and so it's, it's important to know that, that Stephen's life and death are actually uh, very much connected to the overall story uh, in the book of Acts, okay? This is not like a filler story. This wasn't something that Luke, who is the author of Acts, uh, just kind of threw in there and thought, hey, this, this would be a good story for, for this place. Let's go ahead and throw Stephen's life and death in here. Uh, but as I said last week, if you were here, um, I said that Acts chapter 7 is like a turning point in the book of Acts. Because in the very first chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we looked at it several weeks ago. It's kind of the, the purpose of the book of Acts. Jesus is there with his disciples, and he says, You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
right? That's the gospel that is multiplying. That is God's people that are going out that are multiplying and the gospel is advancing. And I shared with you last week that that's kind of been um, our vision here for Chester Christian Church. And, um, and I'm, I'm excited about what God is doing and how we want to advance the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, we're not concerned about you know, growing an empire here and becoming a, a massively huge, huge church. I mean, if God wants to do that, he's more than welcome to do that. Uh, but we, we want to be about multiplication. We want to be about advancing the gospel, church planting, and those types of things. And so I'm excited about what God is doing, and I look forward to sharing more of that as we continue to move forward in this series and throughout the next uh, year or two. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's what you see here in Acts Uh, So Acts chapter 7 is like a turning point, and up to this point, in Acts chapter 7, up to this point throughout Acts, the church's activity has mostly been centered around Jerusalem, but Stephen's death causes this great persecution, and in chapter 8 of Acts, verse 1, go ahead and put that up on the screen, Eva, if you have that, Um, Acts, this is what it says, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. Now we're going to get into who Saul was, uh, but this is Luke's way of introducing Saul, and Saul is later going to be converted, and his name is going to change to the Apostle Paul, who is going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And so we're going to see, see more of that today. Uh, it says, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, right? That's what Jesus said. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Gospel, multiplication, gospel is advancing. Uh, Jesus is being uh, glorified there, okay, and, and, and lifted up. So we are introduced to Stephen a couple of weeks ago when we looked at, at chapter 6, the very first part of that. In chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute and full of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 5, the very first person mentioned there is Stephen. And then in down verse 8, it says that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Right? So Stephen is not just the first Christian martyr, but Stephen was a, a great leader within the church. He was a servant leader, a great example there. And so that, that's what we see. And it's obvious from verse 9 of chapter 6 that Stephen is making a huge impact because there were some men who did not care for what he was teaching. He was proclaiming Jesus. And so they actually start debating him. They start having these conversations uh, trying to, to, try to you know, show him up. But in verse 10, I love what it says. It says that they were unable to cope with the wisdom and with the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. Isn't that awesome? Right? They weren't able to, to cope with it. And so what they do is they get frustrated and they start talking smack about Stephen. Right? I mean, they're like, we can't beat this guy. We can't debate him. We can't beat him in a debate. So we're just going to go out and we're going to start talking smack. And so they secretly instigate men who say that they heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against the temple of God and the law of God. And that's a huge deal, by the way. Verse 12, look at what it says. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Now, this council, again, is the Sanhedrin, uh, which would have been all these religious leaders, uh, just 
you know, very important people. Uh, we learned a few weeks back in chapter 4, uh, there had been about 72 folks in this Sanhedrin. And uh, so he's before, Stephen is before this group, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man, Stephen, never ceases to speak words against this holy place. This holy place is the temple. Now you have to understand that the temple in the Old Testament represented God's presence. Right? The temple is where the high priest uh, would go in and they would do the sacrifices every year for people's sins. And so the temple of God was a big deal. And, and, and the law, right? The law is the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, what we see there. In verse 14 it says, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple. And actually Jesus did say that back in the Gospels. He says, destroy this temple And in three days, I will build it up, because he's referring to himself. And so they accuse Stephen, and it says he will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now, again, we have to understand the seriousness of these charges against Stephen. Because, again, the the temple and the law were like this centerpiece uh, in the nation of Israel's history. Like, you just don't go and mess with the temple and the law. You just don't do that. And so now Stephen is standing here, he's before the high priest and the Sanhedrin. The high priest would have been Caiaphas, the same high priest that stood there at Jesus' trial. And it would have been extremely intimidating, right? I mean, this, this would have been set up like a courtroom scene. And I'm not talking about like traffic court, you know, like when you walk into traffic court and you just pay a simple little fine for speeding or running a red light or whatever. This is like Supreme Court here. I mean, this is like Stephen standing before the Supreme Court, uh, life or death balance here, and, uh, and he's standing there, and I love what it says in verse 15. I think this is a key verse. We're going to come back to it later. It says that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm sure it was pretty amazing. And I think that's important because basically what that means is that Stephen's standing before this council, before this Sanhedrin, he's not intimidated, he's not scared, but he's at peace. He's got a sense of calmness about him. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. So chapter 7, verse 1, it says, The high priest said to Stephen, Are these things so? I love this. In other words, he's saying, Man, is this true? I want answers. Are you blaspheming the temple and the law? And as I was writing this this past week, I couldn't help but think about one of my favorite movies growing up, one of my favorite uh, kind of uh, court Room scene, movies, drama, movies. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with The Few Good Men? Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson, right? Isn't that, the great, isn't that a great scene there at the end where Tom Cruise has got Jack Nicholson on the, on the stand and he's like, we want answers. And, and Jack Nicholson's like, you want answers? And Tom Cruise is like, I want the truth. And then what does Nicholson say? You guys know that movie. You guys know that movie, right? Hey, listen, this, this, <laughs> it's a great movie. But this is exactly, listen, this is exactly what is going on here in Acts chapter 7. It is one of those courtroom scenes, one of the best courtroom scenes in the history of the world. And I love Stephen's response, man, to these accusations because they're absolutely brilliant. Because what he does here is he gives a summary of the history of Israel from the Old Testament. Now this is the longest recorded speech sermon in the book of Acts And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to summarize it for you in a way to help you understand exactly what Stephen is saying. 
And then we're going to read kind of his final points down to verses 51, 52, and 53 and following, okay? So remember, throughout this long speech, Stephen is answering two accusations against him, right? You are blaspheming the temple, which is represented the presence of God, and the law, which, you know, Old Testament, Moses, Ten Commandments, all that good stuff. And so as he goes through the history of Israel, he first says, well, I, I don't think that we need the temple to find God because Abraham met God and Abraham did not have a temple. Now, if you don't know who Abraham was, Abraham uh, was the guy who God called out uh, from Mesopotamia, which is very, very far away from the promised land, the land of Canaan, right? And that's, kind of, that's kind of Stephen's point here is that, hey, Abraham was called out and he wasn't, there was no temple there. Uh, Abraham is, uh, you guys know familiar with the song growing up, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons did Father Abraham and I am one of them and so are you. Very good, very good. All right, so, so that, that, that is Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac and God said you're going to be a blessing to the world because Jesus is going to come through your, your line there, okay? And so that, that's Abraham. And then, uh, and then what he does then is he moves on to a guy named Joseph. Uh, Joseph was one of 12 sons by a guy named Jacob. And Jacob's name later got turned into Israel, got changed into Israel. That's how you get to Israel, the nation of Israel. The 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? And so Joseph was the dreamer guy, right? He had these dreams, and he tells these dreams about how his family is going to, to bow down before him, and they didn't like that. He was the coat of many colors guy, okay? And so uh, they, they sold him into slavery, and Stephen's point is, listen, Joseph was in Egypt, and there was no temple, and yet God met Joseph in Egypt. That's his point. Then he moves on to Moses, and he says that God met Moses in the wilderness at the burning bush, and Moses did not have a temple, and even after the temple was built by King Solomon, uh, Stephen then quotes from the Old Testament prophet named Isaiah, chapter 66, where it says that God does not dwell in a house made by human hands. In other words, you cannot confine God to a box, is what Stephen says. And so his first point is, is that I really don't think you need the temple to find God or for God to meet you. You, know, you just don't need a temple. But then he moves on to the, to the second accusation, and that's against the law of Moses, okay? And basically what he says is, is this, that the law is good. We need the law of God. You cannot put aside uh, the law or ignore it. However, there is a problem here, guys. And he says, under Moses, you didn't obey the law. As a matter of fact, while Moses was up on the mountain... You were down here making a golden calf, breaking the law. You know what I mean? So he's like, he says, under Aaron, you did not obey the law. And he just continues to kind of go through this, this history lesson of how they have continually broken the law. And so he says, Stephen says, the problem isn't the law. The problem is that you've never obeyed the law. And you never will obey it. And so if we are saved by obeying the law, then we have a massively huge problem. And so he answers the question. He says, no, you don't need the temple in order to meet God. And number two, yes, you need the law in order to obey God, but you can't do it. But then there is a third theme that kind of emerges out of Stephen's speech uh, that he wasn't asked about. And, but I think in many ways it's kind of the key to understanding everything that he says. 
And that is this. He says, every time that God has sent a deliverer or uh, somebody to come and rescue his people, you have constantly rejected and persecuted that deliverer. Jesus actually tells a parable about this very thing in the Gospels. It's called the parable of the vineyard. And he says, he says look at Joseph. Stephen, Stephen says, look at Joseph. Joseph, the coat of many colors guy. He was appointed by God to save his family, and yet his family sold him into slavery. They persecuted him. Moses was appointed to deliver his people and bring them into the promised land. And yet the very first time that Moses asserts himself, the people rise up and they reject him. They say, who made you ruler and king over us? And so Moses then flees for his life into the wilderness. Every single time God sends a prophet, a deliverer, a savior, you reject them and you persecute them. And then Stephen brings it all together down in verses 51 52 and 53. 51 and 53 tell us the problem. 52 gives us the solution to the problem. Look at 51. He says, You stiff necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. I mean, that's harsh language right there, right? That's just Old Testament language for basically saying that you've got a spiritually hard heart. That that's what Stephen is saying. You've got a spiritually hard heart. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. In other words, you look really good on the outside. You do all the external rituals. You, you, you play a good game. You talk a good game. But man, on the inside, you are full of pride and your heart is dirty. And in verse 53, he tells him again, he says, listen, you, 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 are, you are bringing me up here, accusing me of, of breaking the law and doing away with the law, and here you are, you've never even kept the law yourself. He says, what you need is a new heart. And the solution is in verse 52. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the, and here's the key phrase, the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. I mean, I mean, what Stephen does here is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because why, why do you think Stephen uses the title, the righteous one here for Jesus? Because throughout the whole speech, he's been talking about how, uh, you know, I don't think we need a temple, and I think the law was good, but you haven't kept the law, and yet we need to fulfill the law, but we can't. And so what we need is the righteous one because righteous the righteous one has fulfilled the law. This is the climax of the whole speech, right? Jesus is the righteous one. He is the one who fulfilled the law. And listen, this is the gospel. When we talk about gospel, gospel simply means good news. We talk about the good news every single week here at Chester Christian Church, right? The gospel is the central message. This is the key, right? Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. And this is the gospel, that Jesus came to earth. He left heaven. He came to earth, and he lived a life that we could not live. He obeyed perfectly. He was perfectly righteous in all that he did. Therefore, he fulfilled the commands of the law. He loved God and he loved people perfectly. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And that is what he did. But then, he went to the cross. He was rejected. He was betrayed, he was denied, he was crucified, he suffered and died, and he took the penalty for our disobedience. Not only did he fulfill the law perfectly, but then he became the sacrifice that paid 
our penalty for breaking the law, right? He was our substitute. That's the principle of substitution. Jesus died in our place. He fulfilled the law, and then he died in our place when we broke it. I mean, listen, listen to what uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says. You know, I, I said that Luke mentions Saul, uh, who later becomes Paul. And I read where a lot of, a lot of commentators believe that, that Saul was very much impacted by the death of Stephen and what Stephen said in his sermon there, in his speech. And a lot of people think that what Paul later wrote in his letters was influenced by Stephen's speech. And I'll give you an example here in Romans chapter 3. If you want to write this down, you can. Uh, but Romans chapter 3, listen to these words by the Apostle Paul, who is Saul in Acts chapter 7. Is that confusing? You guys following me? You guys with me? You guys good? Do we need to do any kind of stretching or anything? You guys good? All right, let's, let's do it. Let's read, read chapter 3, verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We can't keep the law. We fall short and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, right, as a substitute by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Listen, this, this is what Stephen is saying. This is what this means, the righteous one. This is, this is what it means. It means when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, I am going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. What that means is at that moment, your sins, past, present, future, are put on Jesus. He died in your place. You are justified just as if you had never done it through Jesus Christ and his blood. But then... His righteousness is given to you. I mean, how beautiful. I mean, that's, that is good news. That's gospel good news, amen? That, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see dirty heart Aaron, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. That, that, is, what, that is what Stephen is saying. That is what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans. Like, like this, this, this is this good news. He says, I love this. Basically what Stephen does, he says, listen, because I know Jesus, because I understand Jesus, I know your history better than you do. These were religious leaders. These guys knew Old Testament history. They knew it frontwards and backwards, and yet they missed Jesus. And Stephen's like, man, you've missed it. I understand that Moses actually points forward to Jesus I know that, that Jesus is the true temple because Jesus fulfills it. He is the final sacrifice. No longer do you have to go to the temple and do yearly sacrifices because Jesus is the final sacrifice. He is the bridge between us and God. Amen. And so he says, Stephen turns this around on them. Like Stephen is standing before this council being accused of blasphemy, and he turns it around on them, and he says, you know what, guys? You are actually the ones who have killed the temple. You destroyed Jesus. Right? Well, the religious leaders, didn't, they didn't like that too much. <laughs> because in verse 54, let's read it together, right? It says they, they were enraged, and they, they ground their teeth at him. I mean, can you imagine? I, I mean, I, how do you... 
But, it, but, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, again, notice he's full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later becomes Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, again, look at the similarities between Stephen dying and Jesus on the cross dying because they're very similar. Jesus, uh, Stephen says some of the same things that Jesus says. This is, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I mean, wow. And what I want us to do, man, is just take a moment and look at the contrast between these religious leaders and Stephen, right? These religious leaders, they're enraged. They're grinding their teeth. They're picking up stones. And they claim to know God. Right? I mean, this is, this is what's crazy. They claim to know God. And yet Stephen is, is full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of grace and wisdom. And it is obvious that the gospel has so permeated his life that he is praying for those who are killing him. I mean, his model here is Jesus, who prayed for the forgiveness of those who persecuted him and crucified him. I mean, he is, as Jesus calls us to do, he is praying for his enemies. I mean, that's how much the gospel has just impacted his life. Stephen's selfless love is motivated by the gospel because he realizes that Jesus Christ died for him while he was yet a sinner. I mean, listen, from beginning to end, if you read through chapter 7, and I would encourage you to do that, from beginning to end, there is absolutely no, I don't think there's any ill will in Stephen. Like, I don't think Stephen is, like, puffing up his chest and flexing his muscles here and trying to stick it to him. Like, I think, I, think, I mean, he shares the hard truth with them that they've been hard-hearted. But, it, but basically, this is, this is, he is being gracious towards them. This is Stephen wanting to, to, to have them repent and turn to Jesus and see that they missed Jesus. And this is what Stephen is doing here. I mean, listen, it says in chapter 7, verse 2, he addresses them as, as brothers and fathers. Like he cares for them. And again, in 615, it says his face was like the face of an angel. Like this, is, this is Stephen like at peace and, and calm. And he's just, he's just going through the history. He's like, man, please, please. Like, th- this, is, this is Stephen being gracious towards them. And as he walks through Israel's history, this, this, is, this is encouraging. I want you guys to hear this. As he walks through Israel's history, he just continually points to, to time after time after time how they have resisted the Holy Spirit, how they have rejected God's people. And yet... God continues to pursue them. I mean, think about that for a second. Right? Think about how long they have been resisting God and rejecting the Holy Spirit, and yet God continues to pursue. This is what Stephen is trying to tell him, and this should encourage us this morning because, listen, I, I can tell you right now that I have, I have been very guilty of resisting the Holy Spirit. I have been stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. I mean, how many times have I felt God calling me to do something and, and I've just kind of like brushed it off and said, nah, I had that conviction, you know, and be like, eh, you know. I can tell you, man, 17, 18 years ago, I was in a spot where God was just weighing heavy on me and 
I, he was, I, I, I said, God's calling me to go into ministry. And I can tell you right now, man, that was the last thing I wanted to do. That was the last thing on my mind. I didn't want to go into ministry. I, I, did. I was like, this is, I don't want to do this, God. And I, I actually stopped praying about it. I said, like, I don't want to do this. But the more and more I kind of resisted the Holy Spirit, to, I guess you could say, like I was just miserable. And then when I finally gave in, obviously you see where I'm at today, right? I mean, I, 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 yeah, but, but after, I mean, the, the, the two or three people started confirming, yeah, 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 we, we, we felt like God was calling you into ministry. And I was like, dang, <laughs> I'm serious. I'm just being honest with you guys. I did not want to go into ministry. I love it. I mean, I, I praise God, but I, you know, I just, I'm just giving you an example in my own life of how I did that. And, and it's so easy for us to, but, but here's, here's what I want you to see, man. God continues to pursue. God continues to pursue. God loves you and continues to pursue. But here's the danger, okay? There is going to come a time, time when, when, when God's patience is, is, is going to be done. Like he's going to, Jesus is coming back for his church. And so, man, I just want to encourage you to, to think about that today, man. Is there an area in your life that you're resisting the Holy Spirit? Is there an area of life where you just, you need to, the Holy Spirit needs to reveal that you, you haven't been obedient or something? You just need to confess that and repent. I think that's something we all kind of need to examine. But then, these religious leaders, I mean, they, they become so hard-hearted, so blind, so self-righteous that they, they miss Jesus. And when they're, dragging, when they're dragging Stephen out, man, they're hurling these insults and, 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 and condemnation at Stephen, and they're picking up stones. And I want you to notice what Stephen is doing here. Right? He's looking up. Like, when you're getting ready to get stoned to death, what's your natural reaction? If somebody's getting ready to throw something at you, what do you do? <laughs> you know? And Stephen is looking up, and what does Stephen see when he looks up? He sees Jesus. Mm. And Luke adds a pretty significant detail that Jesus is standing. That's important. Because usually when the Bible mentions Jesus at the right hand of God, he is sitting because sitting at the right hand of God shows that his salvation work is complete. It is finished. He has done what he has come to do. And yet, Stephen sees Jesus standing. And I read there's all kinds of different theories as to why Jesus is standing. And I'm just going to share a couple with you, two of my favorite. Uh, there are several. You could Google it and probably come up with a bazillion of them. But I like what one commentator said. He said some, uh, that, that Jesus was actually cheering and standing to welcome the first Christian martyr into heaven. I like that. I think that sounds good. I like that. I, I, I think it's cool. I think that's very much what Jesus could have been doing. But I think my favorite, I think what I like and what I kind of line up with is F.F. F. Bruce. Um, he, he says this. He says, while Stephen was confessing Jesus before men, Jesus was confessing Stephen before the Father. I think, that's, I think that's, that's money right there. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, he says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. In other words, this is a great picture. You don't miss this. This is, this is Jesus is advocating on behalf of Stephen to the Father. You know what he's saying? You know what Jesus is advocating? You know what he's saying? He's saying exactly what, Jesus, what Stephen had just preached. Stephen, this is God, Jesus is looking at Stephen, and he's telling the Father, he says, yes, he, he has my righteousness he has my righteousness. He is, he is trusted in me. He is 
And this is a beautiful thing, right? I mean, 1 John 2, 1 says that we have an advocate before the Father, that Jesus is advocating on our behalf. I mean, how awesome is that? Uh, Hebrews seven twenty five says that those who draw near to God through Jesus, Jesus makes intercession for them. I mean, I, I want you guys to understand that this is, not only do we have the Holy Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit that these guys in Acts had, living in us, that is interceding for us, that is, that is, uh, uh, testifying to our spirits on our, you know, that we are children of God, but we have Jesus who is sitting beside the Father who is also advocating on our behalf. And this is so important to remember because how often do we fall back into this pattern of beating ourselves up? Somebody criticizes you, somebody says something to you, you know, we, whatever it is, and we just we kind of doubt God's love, right? We, we start to, 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 to think that we have to earn God's love and acceptance. That's what the religious leaders did. They, they, they felt like they had to earn salvation. And man, sometimes we fall into that trap. And the Holy Spirit is testifying, no, 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 you are a child of God. And, the, and Jesus is testifying and advocating and saying, yes, my righteousness has been given to you. My righteousness has been given to you. Lean into that. That's gospel good news, man gospel good news. And this is why Stephen gazed, his gaze is fixed on Jesus. Not only does he know in his head what he had just preached, but he knows it in his heart. See, the gospel had moved from his head to his heart. Do we know this in our heart? Do we know this gospel message in our heart? See, it didn't matter what anyone on earth was saying or doing to Stephen. Because Stephen knew that Jesus loved and accepted him. Jesus was more valuable to him than anything else on earth. Jesus was better than life to Stephen. Jesus was Stephen's truest, truest treasure. And when he saw Jesus standing there, everything else faded away because that was more real to him than anything else because that's eternal. Right? That, that's eternal. That's, gonna, that's forever. This is temporary. And we get so, you know, so blinded by everything here, you know, thinking this is, oh, this, i got to have this, i got to have that. And, it, and, it, and this is so temporary. And here's the thing, man. If, if, we, if we build our life on anything other than the gospel, on anything other than Jesus, if we build our life on achievement, this is what the religious leaders did. They built their life on achievement, their own morality, their own righteousness. And when Stephen started to poke holes in it, it devastated them. And if you or I build our lives on anything other than Jesus, if we build our life on achievement, on power, success, money, kids, if we build our life on those things, if that's our treasure, if that's what we live for, then whenever circumstances in your life come along and do something with whatever it is that you put your, your hope in, your treasure in, then it's going to devastate you. It's going to, you're going to fall apart. Listen, but if you build your life on Jesus, then no matter what circumstances come, even if you face death, you can be at peace because you know, you can be at peace because you know that Jesus has conquered death. Amen? This is why I think that verse 15 in chapter 6 is important. His face was like the face of an angel. He was at peace. He was, because he knew, man, his, his treasure was Jesus. 
And when he sees Jesus standing there, he's just everything else. Right? And that's, that's a beautiful thing. I think if Stephen was standing here today, he would say Jesus is not only worth living for, but Jesus is worth dying for because Jesus is better than life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the life of Stephen, who obviously modeled his life after Jesus. God, I thank you for uh, the opportunity we've had to just kind of study together. And I just pray now, God, as we come to a response time, that, that your spirit would just continue to move and work. And God, if there's an area in our life that we just need to, uh, to surrender to you, God, we're just kind of holding on to that, or if we're just kind of resisting somewhere, God, I pray that you would just show that to us. God, that we would be willing to humble ourselves before you. And, and God, just see how, how gracious and kind and uh, just long-suffering you are towards us, God, that you want us to, you, you want us to come to you. God, I pray that we would see how much you love us, that you would send your son to die in our place. Father, help us to see that this morning. Help us to just draw to you. Father, I pray if there is someone here that has never put their faith and trust in you, God, they've never said, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I pray, God, they would make that decision today. God, they would, they would have their sins, past, present, future, forgiven, and they would receive your righteousness, God, and they would get a new heart. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that just needs to be encouraged. God, our prayer team is here today. We want to encourage them. We want to pray for them, lift them up. God, you know who they are. God, would you just continue to move? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys?